How you doing? Good. Take your Bibles. Go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 36 through 41. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to stand with me so we can get your blood flowing this morning. Don't want anybody sleeping this morning. Let's stand together for reading God's Word. A little different. I know, okay, it's out of the box. Don't anybody panic on me. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41 is what we're going to read. Last week, Pastor launched us into the beautiful journey on the subject of X-Men, a new breed rising. He showed us in the book of Acts how they were a new culture, but even greater than that, how you and I can live part of a, the kingdom culture in, to, in today's society. So this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of new life. Last week, it was new culture. This morning, it's new life. So let's read together Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this, his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace that's on our lives. We thank you for your presence that's in this room. We just want you to know that we love you and we worship you today, God. I thank you for your word, God. We've, we've read your word this morning, God, and I want to thank you for the power of your word, God, that it is alive, it is active, God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And this morning, God, we receive everything you have for us. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready. And we say, come in and invade our hearts. Let your spirit invade our spirit. Equip us this morning and release a manifestation of the kingdom of God in this room. Let there be a manifestation of new life in this room today, God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. What does it mean to have new life? What does it mean to experience new life? To the uh, parents holding that newborn baby, new life means joy. At least to the first one. To the teenager graduating from high school and moving off to go to college, new life means adventure. To the prisoner that's being released back into society, new life means freedom. We are surrounded by evidences of natural life. They're all around us. But what about spiritual new life? What about a supernatural new life? Well, when you get into the book of Acts, the book of Acts paints us all kind of pictures. We see a lot of experiences of new life, but we can also see in, in the book of Acts, we see a picture of the modern-day church, how you and I should look, how we should be operating and what we should be doing. We also see in the book of Acts a picture of the kingdom of God. How many of you know God's kingdom is a supernatural kingdom? Yeah, Y'all going to have to wake up and get with me now. I've already done this once, so I'm geared up and ready to go. God's kingdom is a supernatural kingdom with natural evidences. God's kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. When you get in the book of Acts, you see God's kingdom, but you see that his kingdom has shifted under a new covenant in the book of Acts. You see, not only is it under a new covenant, but because it's under a new covenant, they have now become a new culture that's experiencing new life. 
One of the most, one of the greatest pictures in the book of Acts of new life is found in verse 41. It says that they were all baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I wish I had a witness right now that would understand how awesome it would be to see 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ in one day. This is the greatest picture of new life that you and I can see. 3,000 people added to the kingdom that day. See, they were a new breed because they experienced new life. There, there, there were three elements to their experience in new life. Are you ready for this? They, ex, they received new life. They lived a new life and they gave new life. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to answer three questions. Question number one, how do you receive new life? Number two, how do you live a new life? And number three, how do you give new life? See, I have some goals this morning. If you're in this room and you have not experienced new life, my goal is that by the end of this service that you will have a supernatural encounter with the love of Christ that will release you into a new place and you can experience new life in this room this morning. If you're that believer that's struggling, living from day to day, this morning I want to give you four simple steps on how to live new life. If you're a believer in the kingdom of God, I want to show you this morning how you and I need to go outside of these four walls and we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to share the good news in our city. And we, we need to give what God has so freely given to us. So let's jump into this thing. Number one, how do you receive new life? Peter says in Acts 2.38, he says to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me break down this experience to you. An experience takes place when you receive Jesus Christ into your life. We call it new life, and how do I receive new life? Number one, you must repent. It's pretty simple. There has to be repentance. But in the church, we've made repentance a little bit more difficult than what it really is. We believe that repentance is raising your hand and repeating a prayer after a pastor or, or walking forward and going through these motions. If you do this and do that and do this, then Jesus will be your Savior. But repentance is none of those things. Matter of fact, we've created a lot of backsliders in the church today. We said if you'll come forward and do this and do that and do this and do that, then your life will be different and they walk out and their life never changes. See, true repentance is this. It's having a change of mind. It's a change in your thinking. Which doesn't require you walking forward. It doesn't require you going through any religious motions. What it requires is you saying, you know what? I see the way God sees. I see God's word. And I see how God wants me to live. I'm going to have a change of mind about my life. See, a change in your thinking produces a change in your living. And if you came in and went through the motions and your living didn't change, then you didn't have a change of thinking. And see, when you hear the word of God, that's when the change starts going, going, starts coming into place. Because you see, the word says do this, and the word says do that. And really, all repentance is, is it means to begin to think like God thinks. It means to do an about face. It means you're going in one direction, and all of a sudden, you're going in a different direction. The only way you can have a change in direction is to have a change in your thinking. Some of you are repenting right now. Because your thinking is being changed. How do I receive new life? Number one, I've got to repent. Number two, he says, be baptized. He's talking about water baptism. There's a pattern in the book of Acts, and I think it's wonderful. They would preach the gospel, people would get saved, and immediately they baptized them in water. <clears throat> Let me say this right up front. I don't think that you have to be baptized in water to make it into heaven. If so, they would have had to take the thief off the cross, baptize him in water, and re-crucified him. But I do think this, I do believe that there's an extreme importance in the word of God placed upon water baptism and that Christ commands us to walk through this and to do this 
So I don't think any of you this morning are hanging on a cross in the last five minutes of your life. So I think it's extremely important that you and I follow Jesus Christ in water baptism. And here's what we've done in the church. We've made water baptism a religious ritual. Most people that get baptized in water do it because we tell them they have to. <laughs> well, you've gotten saved. The next step is to get baptized in water. Okay, I'll get baptized in water. And what we've done is we've removed the supernatural power of water baptism. Let me take a minute and stay right there. I think I will. See, water baptism has a supernatural power to it. Taking communion has a supernatural power. And in the church, we're real good at making these things just religious rituals, and we walk through them on a week-to-week basis. But water baptism has a supernatural power, and it's directly connected to the cross of Christ. It is the believer's death, burial, and resurrection. It's an outward testimony that the old man is dead, and I am a new person. Going into the water is death, going under is burial, and coming up is resurrection. There's a supernatural power in water baptism, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach because I, I can see y'all are struggling this morning. See, when the children of Israel, you're, when they were in Egypt, Egypt represents bondage. It represents captivity, and, and God delivers the children of Israel out of bondage and out of captivity. It's a beautiful picture of your salvation experience. And the first place that the children of Israel went when they came out of Egypt was into the water. Think about it. They came out of bondage and went right into the water. But they came out on the other side. Guess there was someone chasing them. See, the enemy was chasing them all the way into the water. The Egyptians chased them into the water, but the Israelites came out on the other side, and the water drowned the Egyptians. Here's the supernatural power of water baptism. When you go into that water, there may be some stuff chasing you. But when you go under, that stuff that's chased you all your life, baby, it's going to die under that water, and you're going to come out on the other side in the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is chasing you? See, don't go into that tank because we said that's what you need to do next. You go in there believing that stuff has been chasing you, that if addiction has been chasing you, it stays in that tank, that if depression has been chasing you, it stays in that tank. Whatever's been chasing you dies underneath that water. There is supernatural power in water baptism. Calm down. Some of you may want to be rebaptized. Now that you, I'm serious, now that you understand that. Matter of fact, after service today, you don't have to be signed up for water baptism. We're going to have a baptism team right back here. And after service is over, we're going to give you the opportunity to get water baptized today. Because there's a supernatural power in it. Number one, how do I receive new life? I repent. Number two, water baptism. Number three, he says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is so wonderful. So Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. When you get born again, when new life comes, you know what new life means? It means his spirit is now inside of your spirit. His spirit comes inside of you. You receive the Holy Spirit. He comes in. The Bible says that my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I'm a child of God. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings new life, but he becomes your best friend. He becomes your companion. He becomes your teacher. He becomes everything to you. He answers questions that needs to be answered. He tells you when to turn left, when to turn right, where to go, where not to go. The Holy Spirit becomes your best friend. He's the seal of your salvation. Here's the wonderful thing about it. Repent is our part. Baptized is our part, but receiving the Holy Spirit's his part. And he's faithful to do his part. How do I receive new life? Repent, water baptism, and receive the Holy Spirit. Number two, how do I live new life? How do we live this new life? 
Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I'm going to give you four steps to living a new life. Number one, set your heart on things above. See, when you receive new life, you've got to set your heart on the things above. And the way that you do that is you have to get in the Word of God. If you're not reading the Bible, you're starving spiritually. You don't miss any meals physically during the week. Why do we miss meals spiritually? When I receive new life, to live new life, I must set my heart on things above. Which means when I get into God's Word, I discover what God's will is for my life. How many of you know God has a plan for you? We toss that around cliche, but I'm telling you, God really does have a plan. He knew you before he formed you, before he created it, you and placed you in your mother's womb. He wrote out a plan for you. When you discover that God has a plan for you and a will for your life, you begin to discover now God has a destiny for me. Every person in this room under the sound of my voice, you have a God-given destiny. And when you start pursuing that destiny, you'll find out that not only does God have a will for you and God has a destiny for you, but God dreams over you. God dreams about you. His dreams over you are prosperity and health and blessing. God wants nothing but good for you. He has no bad wishes over your life. He has no bad thoughts over you, but God dreams good thoughts over your life. Number two, how do I live a new life? Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Number one, I set my heart on things above. Number two, you've got to set your mind on things above. How do I live a new life? You've got to start desiring spiritual things. What are you passionate about? See, once you start desiring spiritual things, you start becoming passionate about God. If I can figure out where you're putting most of your time, I'll figure out what you're passionate about. And if God gets five minutes during the week, then you're not passionate about him. And the way that you become passionate about something is you feed yourself what you want to be passionate for. I turned 40, I found out that some of the foods that I like to eat, I like them even more. And I can't get enough of them. Sometimes I have to cut myself off and I found out that food stays with me longer. (laughs) So I become passionate about some things in the food rim. (laughs) And as long as I feed myself that food, I want more of it. (laughs) Go ahead. I can't just eat one ice cream sandwich. Can I get a witness? A a box of popsicles will last about 10 minutes in my house. See, your spirit is the same way. Whatever you feed your spirit is what you're going to desire. And if you want to set your mind on things above, you want to set your heart on things above, you've got to start being passionate about God. The only way to be passionate about Him is to start feeding yourself the things of God. And see, once you start becoming passionate about God, then you'll move into the next place of setting your mind on things above. You'll start becoming zealous for the church and for God's kingdom. Jesus said, zeal for your house has consumed me. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. There's something about being passionate about God that makes you be zealous for church. Sunday and Wednesday should be the happiest day of your week. Why? Because I get to go to church. I get to hear the word. I get to worship with other believers. I get to be in fellowship. And I get to experience the presence of God. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. And step number three to living new life. Here's where it gets nasty. Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices. Step number three is to put off the old self. If any man man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you want to live a new life, you've got to put off the old self. In other words, you've got to start dying to yourself. 
If you have new life, that means that everything is new. That means that you don't go to the same places you used to go to. Well, it's getting quiet. That means you don't, some of you, you don't run around with the same people you used to run around with. You don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't even look the way that you used to look. Some things have to change. And in order for you to die to yourself, you've got to crucify your flesh. See, the old man may be dead, but I can promise you he'll sneak up on you when you least expect it. <laughs> you may have buried that old man, but there's going to be some days when he's knocking on the door. There's going to be some days when he's trying to get in. And that's when you've got to say, flesh, I crucify you today. I pin you to the wall. You will not control me. I die to myself because I'm living a new life. In order to put off the old self, somebody's supposed to get set free. You ready? You've got to leave the past in the past. I'm going to say that again. You must leave the past in the past. I've got to put off the old self. That means I've got to move to the future. I've got to move to what God has for me. I've got to put the past in the past. And for some of you, you might get set free from the past if you stop talking about it. If you stop living in it, stop reliving it, move on. It's a new day. God has a destiny for you and a plan for you. He does not want you to dwell in yesterday. And putting off the old self means that sometimes I've got to leave the past in the past. Step number four to living a new life. Colossians 3.10 says, And have you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Number one, you've got to set your heart on things above. Number two, set your mind on things above. Number three, you've got to put off the old self. And number four, put on the new life. Put on that new life, baby. Which means this, you've got the mind of Christ in you. You're a new creation. Jesus lives on the inside of you. And to put on the new life means you put Jesus on. And how do I do that? I've got to get in the Bible and find out how Jesus acted, and that's the way that I act. Philippians chapter 2 said he did not consider equality with God, but he put on the heart of a servant and esteemed others better than himself. Oh, I need to preach right there. Because some of us need to be delivered from pride. What if you and I got up every day and said, today I'm going to take the heart of a servant, I'm going to put on love, and I'm going to esteem others better than myself. We'd double the kingdom of God overnight. See, the, church is not wonder, uh, the world is not wondering about how smart we are and how much we know. You know the slogan, they want to know how much we care. And that means putting on Christ. To live a new life, I've got to act like Jesus acted. Question number three, how do I give new life? How do I give a new life? Well, let me, let me take you to a scripture here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. How do I give new life? It's real simple. Are you ready? Let your light shine. Let your light shine shine you know what that means to beam a radiant brilliance to give light through your good works how do I give new life are you ready just do good to somebody y'all need to wake up how do I give new life you get you need to do good for somebody See, in the book of Acts, under that new culture, when people were in need they brought all their belongings together and put them together and they dispersed them as, as people had needs there's probably somebody in this room right now that may not know where their meals are coming from next week. There's probably somebody in this room this morning that needs some new clothes. There's somebody in this room this morning that you could give a job to. There's somebody in this room this morning that needs transportation. And you know what? Let's take it a step further. We not only need to do good to each other, but we need to do good to the heathen. We need to let the world see us 
serving. We need to let the world see us caring about our community. Find out what the needs are in your city and go out and serve and do good in our city. Find out what the need is. Go meet the need. Do good. How do I give new life? I've got to let my light shine. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Let your light shine. How do I give new life? Number two. The book of Revelation chapter 12 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the point of death. First thing i got to do to give life is i got to let my light shine. Number two, you need to tell somebody your testimony. You need to share what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You need to first of all live it, and second of all, you need to open your mouth up and share it. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. <clears throat> there was a young man that was raised in a Christian home but never accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. Took off out into the world running from God. Spent his life in crack houses and beer joints and running and living that lifestyle. And after over 10 years, this young man came to know the Lord. When his life was falling apart and when his life was breaking, he came to know Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he realized is he realized that the whole time he was out running the streets, not one time did one believer step into where he was at and share the love of Jesus Christ with him. Running the streets and never found one person that would step in to darkness and bring light. That would step in and bring life and say, Jesus Christ loves you and has a plan for your life. Sometimes that's all it takes for one person that's living in darkness, that's suffering in the pits of hell, that's suffering by demonic attack. Sometimes all it takes is one person to step in to that rim of darkness and say, Christ loves you and has a plan for your life. When this young man come to Jesus Christ, he decided that he would not be one of those Christians See, the gospel was never made to be contained in four walls with a group of people waiting on somebody to join their group. The gospel was meant to invade our city. I'm fixing to get passionate. The gospel was meant to invade our cities and either cause a revival or a riot. The true gospel, true disciples, a new breed under a new culture, advancing his kingdom and giving new life will cause a riot or to cause a revival, and most times it causes both. See, the world is crying out for an answer, and you and I have it. That young man that got saved is standing before you this morning, and my heart's cry is this, that you and I would once again become contagious with so much passion and fire that we cannot keep our mouths shut about the good news and about Jesus Christ. Listen, if I held a vial in my hand this morning that had the, the answer to cancer, the cure to cancer was in this vial, do you think I would take it home and put it in my closet under lock and key and never share it? If I held the cure for cancer this morning, I would give it to everybody that I could give it to. Yet you and I, we have the cure to sin. We have the cure to death, hell, and the grave. And yet we take it home and put it in a closet under lock and key. And we never share the cure with the world. The world is crying out, church. And you and I have the answer. Statistics say there's about 6 billion people in the world. And if we take those statistics and we look at the average person lives 70 years old. Let's just say an average person lives to be 70. That means that there are 85 million, around 85 million people that die every year. If 85 million people die every year, that means there's around 230,000 people that die every day. That's two people every second. Statistics tell us out of these numbers that one out of ten people are a genuine born-again believer. And if one out of ten people, these statistics are true, 
That means that every day on an average, there are around 209,000 people that slip into eternity without Jesus Christ. Every day, 209,000 people slipping into eternity without Jesus Christ. While you and I sit in our comfortable church with the air conditioner and the padded chairs, celebrating a message that we never carry out to the streets. I want to challenge you today. What if, what if you and I told one person about Jesus this week? What if we let the past be the past and we said, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. And this week I'm going to do good. I'm going to give new life. I'm not talking about inviting somebody to church. That's the easy way out. Anybody can slide a track in on the grocery cart and very comfortably invite somebody to church. I'm talking about sharing your story with somebody and sharing new life with them. If we would just share Jesus, our churches would double over a week. And see, here's the deal. You don't have to go to seminary to be able to share the love of Jesus. <laughs> so all you got to do is have an experience. They asked the blind man, who healed you? He said, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, and now I see. Here, all you've got to do, friend, is tell the world, I once was in darkness, and now I'm in light. I once was in bondage, but now I'm free. I once was lost, and now I'm found. All you need is an experience. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an opinion. Your opinions don't mean anything, and you'll never be able to take a man's experience away from him. And if Jesus Christ has changed your life, friend, you qualify to spread the good news. If Christ has washed away your sins, you qualify to lead somebody to Jesus. And I challenge you this week, invite somebody into the kingdom, share new life with somebody this week. What if we all did that to one person?